The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard, it has been a busy few days for me. It really has been. Last time we were together... I was getting ready to go get some books, have to distribute those books out. Uh, we've got them now. Let's see. Barnes & Noble in Starkville, Bookmart and Cafe in Starkville, of course, Campus Bookmart in Starkville, Maroon & Company in Starkville, Friendly City Books in Columbus. They're being delivered to Lemuria Books in Jackson today, uh, Persnickety in Madison today, and then uh, they'll be at Lorelei Books in Vicksburg very, very soon. Uh, also going to Turn Row, it's um, it's a pretty crazy deal how rapidly we go from completely stopped to 100 miles per hour. Spent the weekend signing your books. I know many of you are eagerly anticipating the arrival of your books, and so I finished that up yesterday around 4 o'clock, wrote all day long. My penmanship may not have been the best, so please don't uh, judge me too harshly. Ended up signing, I guess, uh, about 3,500 books. And then we've got some more, obviously, that uh, are unsigned. that will head out to bookstores, and I'll sign those when we get there. Let me update you on uh, the signing schedule. These are some things coming up uh, that all you guys need to be aware of. I know many of you are, are regularly asking me, Steve, what's uh, – when are you coming here? When are you coming there? Well, the truth of the matter is, is I, I don't really know. I know that I will get there at some point, but I don't know. I don't keep the schedule, and uh, that's one of the greatest things for me is having somebody to keep the schedule. So this week, Wednesday, February 9th, 2.30 to 5 p.m., I'll be in Meridian at the Bulldog Shop. That's downtown, If you for you that are unfamiliar. Thursday, February 10th, I'll be at the Starville Library from noon to one, and then that evening we'll be at the Alluvian. Sponsored by Turnrow Books in Greenwood, Mississippi. That'll be five to seven, kind of a happy hour experience there in the Mississippi Delta. Always uh, have to go by there and eat at the, uh, what is it, the Crystal Palace, the Crystal Grill. Love that place. The best pie probably in the state of Mississippi. Love going in there. This Friday... I will be at Maroon and Company from 3 to 6. Central Mississippi, we didn't forget about you. We'll be at Lemuria Books from 12 to 2 on this Saturday. 12 to 2 this Saturday. And then Persnickety, that great little gift shop there in Madison, be there 3 to 5 on Saturday. Next week, it all gets started on Thursday. February 17th at Reed's Gumtree Books there in Tupelo, 3 to 6. And then Friday, Book Martin Cafe, that time is to be a 
to be announced. Same thing for Saturday. That's just kind of going to depend on um, when Chris Simonis and the Diamond Dogs elect to play a little baseball. So that gets you through two weeks. If you'd like to set up a signing, you can reach out to me. I'll connect you with the right people. But there's a lot that goes into this. And uh, let me go ahead and prepare you for this. We're going to sell out of books the first printing. Now, if you already ordered one online, you're taken care of. You don't need to worry about that. I know you waited a long time. I've waited a long time to get these books to you, but you're taken care of. And I uh, went through and signed those books yesterday, and a lot of your your families of your Bulldog players, current and former, have already elected to buy the book. And uh, that's pretty special to me. It really is. And you knew they would, but still it's nice to see you know, the DeBrule family and Stone Simmons family and Christian McLeod's family and Will Bednar's family. It's very rewarding to see that they want the book. And I um, already got some early reviews. A lot of people are telling me it's the best thing I've ever written. I agree if I do say so myself. And I think a lot of it has to do with the subject matter itself. Not that I didn't pour my heart into every page of everything I've ever done, but we just won a national championship. And uh, it was important to me to be able to, to document that as someone who was there at nearly every game. I guess in the end, I missed four games the entire season. We couldn't get to Arlington due to the weather. Proved to be a pretty good weekend for us. I did cancel my Flow Sports subscription shortly thereafter. And then didn't make it out to College of Charleston, but I did make it to South Carolina that weekend. So I only missed four games. I'll miss a few more this year uh, due to the book signing schedule. And I hate that because I hate not being there. But uh, – won't be making the trip to Oxford or to Columbia, Missouri, but I should be able to make everything else. That's the plan anyway. Home or away, midweek, weekend, I try to make it all. I like to be your eyes and ears out there to kind of tell you what's being said. And, and uh, they do a great job, too, to give us some incentive to come to the ball games. Like, we, we, we don't you – know, they don't do a Zoom call for baseball at Mississippi State. I know a lot of other people that uh, – you know, they have found it maybe perhaps their way of doing things to kind of reward the media that doesn't make the trip. But uh, what's the point in me making the trip and then everybody else getting the opportunity to ask questions and go through a press conference uh, from the comfort of their own home? So I, I like being there. There's nothing like being there. And I, uh, I encourage you, when you have the opportunity to go see the Mississippi State athletics programs when they come to your neck of the woods, please go out and support the team. Not only is it a great experience for you and your kids, but uh, our student athletes deserve to have some people cheering on their efforts. Now, while I can't cheer in the press box, in my heart I'm cheering. I always want us to win. I always expect us to win. But in many respects, I feel that this book is a big win for all of us. It's a big win for me, obviously, because I put a lot of time and effort into it. But, um, you know, years from now, we're going to want to go back and relive all this stuff, and it's going to be nice for you guys to be able to, of course, put the DVR on. But, um you know, the, the reality of it is, is you don't get the insight from the players and the coaches. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, what was your favorite interview? Uh, what's your favorite part of the book? What's all my favorite? Because it all meant something. And, and the thing that I go back to is that every player contributed. And that's what it takes to win an AFL championship. You have to have contributions from every player on your roster. Whether that be a guy like Preston Johnson, you know, really hammering things down in game two against – Vanderbilt to save our bullpen for the NAFL championship final. That was huge for Mississippi State. What it boils down to Tanner Leggett, a guy that, uh, you know, the, the book on him was he couldn't hit sliders. But uh, lo and behold, what does he get? He gets a slider and drives Braylon Skinner in from second to advance Mississippi State to the NAFL championship final. So I got as many quotes as I could possibly get. 
saved every interview throughout the year. So you got the, the words from the coaches and players basically as things began to unfold during your NAFL championship season. If you hadn't ordered books, you can at dogpiledbook.com. It's no longer a pre-order. You order it now, they'll go ahead and get it in the mail for you. Matter of fact, some people yesterday as I was uh, finishing up signing all the pre-orders, we had some orders come through and those were signed too. And so those will head to the post office today if they haven't already. All of the singles will go out today and just about all the multiples. And then the remain, remaining, when I say multiples, there are some people that bought, you know, five, six, seven books. Uh, those will all go out this week too. And uh, if they don't go out today, they'll go out tomorrow. And so uh, be looking for those. And uh, I left them, you know, several hundred signed books at the publisher. So if, there, if you require personalization, give it a couple more days. You know, they're going to see me at these book signings. Of course, like if you order today and you want a personalization for your grandfather or something like that, uh, we can knock that out probably on Wednesday. Of course, we'll get in the mail Thursday. But uh, just have a little patience. You know, every, every year we go through this with these books where, you know, we get them in the mail and sometimes we're at the mercy of the United States Postal Service. And if you guys have had to deal with that uh, in the last couple of years, you, you know, at, at times things don't flow as well as they should. But uh, we have done our part. The books have all been received. The books have all been signed. The books have all been packaged. All your mailing labels have been printed. Most, many of you should have got a notification by now that your order is complete. And so it's in the mail. So the check, the book, in the mail. Excited for you guys to have it. And, uh, you know, sales have been, shall we say, robust through the first couple of days of release. And, uh, you know, we, I expect the book to probably debut on the bestseller list uh, this coming Sunday, probably middle of the pack. And then week two, I, I expect to see it go to number one and stay there for a while. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of interest in the book. And, and not everybody that, uh, that that retails the book for us is part of that process for the Mississippi bestsellers list. But uh, there are many people that are. And uh, I, I appreciate our independent bookstores in Mississippi. We have a very rich literary heritage in the Magnolia State. And a lot of that is supported by your independent bookstores. You know, I, I'm, I'm a local author in many respects, but I have a lot of friends that uh, don't have the same following or notoriety that I do that depend on those independent bookstores to help them uh, get their books on the shelves. And our people in Mississippi do a great job of doing that. And I know meeting so many of these people out running around doing book signings, how difficult that can be. Recently, I uh, talked to another Mississippi writer that uh, is, you know, basically got her books up for consignment, you know, at stores, just trying to kind of get, you know, her foot in the door as a new author. And I, I think it's important, too, that, you know, we shop and support local. There are a lot of people out there that want children's books and that sort of stuff. And um, we have some very talented, you know, children's authors in the state of Mississippi. And so I think, again, it's important, I think, shop Mississippi first. I'm a firm believer in that. I try to shop local wherever I go, even when I'm on the road. I'll, if I, I go to Arkansas and I'll ask the student workers up there, hey, if I want to go get tacos when this thing is over, where should I go? And don't tell me Taco Bell. Nothing against uh, running for the border. But when I'm on the road, I like to eat well. It probably probably well, uh, a little bit better than I should at times. But the reality of it is, is I like to support independent business. And I hope that you do as well. There are so many people out there that are doing a great job. They don't have the resources, you know, the backing of a, you know, a big you know, parent company to support them. And so they depend on people like me and you, uh, which reminds me, you know, in the, in the months ahead, I, I'm going to share a story with you. The, uh, I, have, I have a label made, I guess you would say, 
uh, a gentleman, a former professor emeritus at Mississippi State that recently just passed away that uh, wrote a book about turkey hunting and about uh, naturalism and about living outdoors and things like that. And uh, it's kind of our great state. And so that book's going to be released in April. And uh, since he's passed away, I want to do what I can to help his family uh, sell those books. I understand they've got about a thousand to sell. And so we want to do what we can to kind of promote that. So many of you may have even been students of this professor. And so I'll have more information as we kind of move forward with that. And uh, we're actually going to sell it on my website, you know, the, the website that supports uh, my literary contributions. You know, my uh, literary agent said, hey, how do you feel about doing this? And we we're absolutely supportive of doing that. And so it'll make it easier for you. So if you're, if you're looking for that book, that turkey hunting book, you'll be able to find it at dogpiledabook.com. So we'll make it easy for you uh, as best we can. Got a great show lined up for you today. A lot of men's basketball stuff to talk about. Got some baseball stuff to talk about, too. I can't wait. We're 11 days away. 11 days away from opening day for the defending NAFL champion Mississippi State Bulldogs. Got some things to share about that today. We'll kind of look, you know, look ahead. And, uh, you know, we're right in the middle of the crazy part of college basketball season. And, uh, you know, we dropped a game over the weekend that uh, we had hoped to win, didn't expect to win, but we certainly hoped to win and, and had an opportunity to win, but we did, and we'll talk about that. Again, my belief in this Mississippi State men's basketball team is unwavering. I believe we have the talent to make the NCAA tournament. I am still holding on to hope that we're going to win a game or two we're not expected to, and that we're going to win the games that we're ex- we are expected to, and that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make a push to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, but at this point, every game that Ben Howland and the Mississippi State men's basketball team plays in is an important game. There are no games of no consequence left on this schedule. And so we're going to break some of that down today and kind of look ahead. This is a, a season-defining stretch that we're in now. And some of the games that we looked at early in the season that we said, you know, that's going to be a really tough one. Now and now over the course of the season, we're like, hey, we got a chance to go in there and win one. And so we have not been a good road team. As our record reflects, we're going to have to win some games on the road, I think, to make the NCAA tournament. I think that is probably the most understood fact about our season is we're going to have to improve our play on the road in order to get off the bubble and get into the NCAA tournament field. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Had lunch there last week. Probably get in there again this week. And uh, what's interesting, I had somebody reach out to me and say, hey, Steve, I don't know if you know this, there's a Bulldog Burger Company and now in the uh, Ridge and Flowood area. And you're absolutely right, there is. And I did know that. I, I did know that. I did. There are three great locations to serve you. The first one right here, the flagship, University Drive in Stark Vegas and then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And, yes, a new one in central Mississippi in the, in the uh, Lakeland, in Lakeland Drive, Flowood area. You can get out there and go check that thing out. You'll be glad you did. Our buddy Ian Few running the show down there. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's a great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's one of the great delicacies in life. As a matter of fact, Stan Man, when I was signing books on Saturday, Stan Man at Campus Bookmark, he treated the entire crew to Bulldog Burger Company, and I got the Bulldog. And you know what? It was fantastic. It always is. That's the thing. Consistency is key in the restaurant business, and that's what you're going to get. Great food at a great price, great portions, great service, great locations, uh, whether it be a night out with the guys or the girls or with the family, Bulldog Burger Company is, without a doubt, your best destination to go enjoy a great restaurant-quality hamburger, but also, too, those fabulous spring rolls. And if you're looking to eat a little bit lighter, you can do that, too. You can have the Sloppy Joe sliders, and that's probably not, um, 
maybe, maybe on your cheat day menu, maybe it's not part of your diet, but uh, you can get the BLT salad fried or grilled there. And I actually said it right this time. I like to get it grilled. I, I just, to me, it just tastes a little bit better. And uh, you can go check it out. This, the portion's absolutely substantial. You'll get more than your money's worth at Bulldog Burger Company. The place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. And it seems like forever and a day ago that we were together because so much has happened. Mississippi State played an intercollegiate basketball game at Bud Walton Arena on Saturday evening in front of 19,200 people. My son and his family were in attendance. Matter of fact, today's top ten list is uh, the suggestion of my oldest son, Ani. It may be a band you're unfamiliar with. Roy even says, hey, this is a new one on me. And that's part of the, the goodness of the show is to be able to give you some things that maybe perhaps you're unfamiliar with. We celebrate the classics, but we still push perhaps the obscure. All right, so we get into this ballgame, and this was an offensive masterpiece, right? No, it absolutely was not. But there was a defensive clinic. And one of the things that kind of helped, too, is, you know, we forced Arkansas into some difficult shots in the early going. And even when they made that little run, as an 8-0 run, it kind of gave them an advantage. It kind of felt like, you know, we may be in trouble here. And the crowd begins to get rolling. They hit a big shot here or there. We couldn't execute offensively. And then next thing you know, we end on a pretty good run. And it's a 25-25 game at the half. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know what, hey, as ugly as this thing has been, we're right there. We have traditionally been a much better team in the second half after some halftime adjustments. And I said, you know what, hey, we're right there on the road in a tie game against Arkansas, a team that's really talented, really athletic. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think they're better than us. And we split with them. They didn't have J.D. Note the first time we played them. But I didn't think that uh, – he had the impact on this game that maybe many people expected. And maybe I'm a bit naive, but um, I really felt like at the half, we got a real chance here. Tolo Smith did play in the ballgame. We talked about on Friday, I wasn't expecting him to play. Uh, he wasn't 100%, but I thought he moved around pretty well out there, especially low in the post. I thought he did a good job uh, moving his feet. I thought he was confident in what he did. And getting him back, getting him healthy is key to our season. I think we all know that. You don't need me to tell you that. We all all feel the same way. We are a much better team with a healthy Tolu Smith on the floor. And fortunately, we just haven't had him a whole lot this year. And maybe that leads to him coming back next year. I don't know. He probably needs, you know, a big run down the stretch to kind of elevate his stock and, you know, pro draft circles. But the reality of it is, is that, uh, you know, when we have Tolu Smith, we are a difficult team uh, to contend with. Looking at the, uh, some numbers here, too. Iverson Molinar, again, con- continues his spectacular play. 19 points for him. We had, we had him shoot it a lot, and some of those shots, too, didn't fall, especially in the first half. It just felt like, you know, that they were doing a good job kind of being physical with him and forcing him uh, to, to jack up some shots that uh, perhaps weren't maybe the best shot selection. But, you know, I didn't think that we got a lot of contact called in this ballgame. Um now, there were times it was kind of herky-jerky. There was some contact in the lane at times on Iverson that didn't get called. But on the flip side, too, there were some times that I thought we got away with some things in the paint on the defensive end. But sometimes, you know, they call it and next time they don't. And that's the only thing you can really ask for is that there's some consistency. But I, I didn't think it was a poorly officiated game. I know a lot of you uh, did. You know, it's like we get down there and we get in, the, in with the trees and we don't score and we think there's got to be contact. But I'm a guy that's probably – maybe as open about criticizing officials as anybody. And I think sometimes what our conference trots out there is a complete joke. 
especially on the football side of things. And, and there are some guys on, on the baseball side of things that probably should have been retired, you know, four or five years ago. But uh, I thought this was a pretty well-officiated game. And what I mean by that is, it's not to say that they didn't miss some calls. I thought it was pretty consistent on both ends. I don't think that they were able to play physical and we weren't. I thought both teams were. I think this, in the end, we couldn't execute shots down the stretch. But Iverson, 7 of 18 from the floor, you generally see him shoot at a much higher clip than that. And we want him shooting the ball a lot. He's probably a guy that needs to take double-digit shots per game. Missed his only three, but he's five of five from the line. And that's, again, part of his game. Try to get to the rim, and even if you can't finish, you get to the line. And with them kind of, you know, sitting on their whistles a little bit, we didn't get to the line probably as much as we expected to. Uh, Iverson just won board and uh, had three turnovers and then one assist. And, again, in order for this half-court offense to work, we're going to have to play some team basketball. And I thought offensively we really struggled at times. Iverson, 19 points on the night. Uh, got a good night from Garrison Brooks, too. We talked about that, how he kind of disappeared a little bit against Texas Tech. Against South Carolina, an outstanding game. And another good game for him again uh, against Arkansas. 34 minutes of action, and he gets a double-double. 11, 11 rebounds, 12 points. That's a stat line that we can live with. If, you, if you're going to get a double-double from that guy, you know, more games than not, you're going to win a lot of basketball games, especially when Tolu Smith's in the lineup. And Tolu didn't play uh, the full complement of minutes that many of the other starters did, but 27 minutes, uh, two of eight from the field. And there were a couple times I thought he was just kind of feeling his way through, but very good at the line, seven of nine. One of his better nights from the free throw line, he's about, what, a 64% free throw shooter. We get seven to nine for him. Chances are we're going to be in good shape. Just six boards from him, 11 points. But I think at this point, I mean, how can you be critical? You're just happy to see the guy back. He had that sublex patella um, two weeks ago. Misses three games, and now he's back. And in order for us to make the tournament, I think we're going to have to have him. I thought DJ Jeffrey showed good energy. He's not a great three-point shooter. And some of those are kind of ill-advised attempts. He's just one of four from the field and missed both of his threes. There are sometimes it's almost like we're playing horse. It's like if we shoot it in rhythm, we make it. And, it, you know, he he banged one in that they originally called a three and went back and looked at it and, and called it a two, and that's the only shot that he made. There are times, though, his shot selection is just not very good, and, that, and that's something that's probably got to improve tremendously down the stretch. Still waiting for the big breakout game from D.J. Jeffries. Just, you know, he's doing a pretty good job defensively. His length is a problem for some on the defensive end. But we need a little more of an offensive contribution from him. He pulls down six boards, uh, knocks down three or four free throws, and actually had three assists. And when, you're, when your three is getting more assists than your point guard, that's not a good thing. Matter of fact, Tolu Smith also had three assists in the game. And, and a couple of those were just you know, great looks, that extra pass down low when he gets the double team and he dishes it to Garrison Brooks, who had a couple of nice heaves. And, again, I think Garrison's rounding into kind of what we need him to be. Uh, five points for DJ Jeffries. Uh, does have the one steal. Shaquille Moore has kind of gone away as of late. You know, he, he'd got a stretch there where he was outstanding. He was a great complimentary scorer in the backcourt. And I don't know if it's because we're not running the same sets for him because, you know, with Tolu and those guys down low, maybe we're trying to get more of the point-blank shots. But uh, Shaquille, uh, just four attempts on the night and 21 minutes of action, missed both of his threes. Pulled down a couple rebounds, also got in a little bit of foul trouble, and just two points in the night. You would say, well, Steve, you know, you're not going to get four double-digit scores. And you're right about that. 
but I do think that uh, DJ and Shaquille are going to have to put out a little more on the offensive end in order for us uh, to win some of these games that we're going to have to to make the tournament. So, you know, your three double-digit scorers are, are Molinar Brooks and Tolu Smith, and you can live with that most nights, but I don't think that you can go, you know, five points and two points from the other two starters. Anderson Garcia is a guy that has quickly becoming a fan favorite. Brings a lot of energy, a lot of energy off the bench. 14 minutes for him, uh, just, you know, one basket, and it was a big three, and it was big at the time, too. It's like when Arkansas is trying to get the crowd into it, all of a sudden Garcia knocks the Rams home at three, pulls down a couple rebounds. Very active on a defensive end. I'm happy with what we're getting from him, and I think you guys are as well. You'd like to see him get a little bit more. Uh, Rocky Watts has been hot for us. He didn't do as much against Arkansas, just six minutes of action. I had the one foul, too, where they went and reviewed it, and um, I was surprised it wasn't a flagrant one. To be honest with you, he's coming down and he inadvertently hits a guy in the face and then he kind of shoves in his direction. As sensitive as officiating has been, I was kind of surprised that, that one didn't go uh, their way. Javian Davis, 11 minutes of action. And again, I think we're getting what we want from him in that role is kind of the third big. I think he's a guy that's willing to get in there and compete. I do think defensively he has played uh, pretty well. Just three points for him. Uh, does knock down one basket and one of two from the free throw line. And again, Cam Matthews, again, probably our best on the ball defender, not going to fill up the box score. No points for him, attempted just two shots. One of those was point blank range. Uh, you got to make that happen. And the other one was a, 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 probably an ill advised three. Uh, pulled down a couple rebounds. Not a great game for Cam, but again, a lot of times when he's playing well, you're not going to see it show up in the stat line. But um, again, pretty. Pretty balanced effort. We just weren't good enough you know, to finish this deal late. 16 of 22 from the line. You probably feel pretty good about that. 3 of 12 from the three-point line. We're just not going to make many shots from three. Garrison Brooks has two of them. We're just not a team. We're not an offense that really has an outside threat consistently. We just don't have that guy. And that's disappointing. It really is. And that was the thing, you know, when you had DJ last year, you just never knew you know, when DJ was going to be able to knock down a three. And it always seemed to be at a big moment. We don't really have that guy. You know, that's a part of Iverson's game. It's probably got to get better, too, you know, in order for the scouts to really, you know, put a grade on him that I think uh, will make him a significant amount of money. He's got to get better uh, from the perimeter. We're just not a perimeter-oriented offense. We pulled down 38 rebounds as the team, which is right there with Arkansas. They only had – they had 39. So we kind of held our own in that respect, and I think that's what Tolu Smith does for you. He's a great equalizer on the glass. Uh, JT Note, we held him below his average, but he had some big baskets late. He was 0 of 6 from 3. So we did a pretty good job defending the perimeter as a team, Arkansas, uh, 4 of 19 from 3. And, you know, that's kind of been the Achilles heel of the Ben Howland experience is the teams that can hit from outside traditionally give us a lot of trouble. Well, we did a good job defending the perimeter this time. And there were, most of these shots are very uh, contested. You know, Chris Likes made a couple and a couple of those were just, uh, you know, great ball movement where we just didn't rotate over. But, again, that wasn't the difference in the ballgame. And, in, you know, free throws are only 13 or 22. I just thought down the stretch we didn't execute well enough offensively, and that proved to be the difference in the ballgame. We shoot 35%. They shoot 37, nearly 38. We talk about three-point shooting not really a factor for either team. And then we shot 72% from the, from the free throw line. They just 59%. Looking at the intent. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? 
Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. In this ball game, 24 in the paints, points in the paint for us, 32 for them. Uh, there's your eight points. Points off turnovers, we have eight. We have seven, they have eight. Second chance points, we have 10, they have 15. Fast break, they have 18, we have eight. That's a factor, too. 
you know, you know Arkansas is going to get out and run. We did a pretty good job at times getting back in transition defense. But when they made their big run, they got us. There was a one-time two, if I recall. I'm trying to remember who missed the three. It may have been Garrison Brooks who missed the three. And then it turns into basically an uncontested dunk at the other end, basically a five-point swing. And that's the thing. When you miss the shot, you can't sit there and lament the loss. you got to get back on defense because Arkansas is a team that will make you pay. And, of course, they, they beat us up on the bench 23-6. and six. The game was tied ten times. Lead changed one time. And um, Arkansas, really from around the 10-minute mark in the first half, it seemed like – I would never say they felt like they were in control, but it never felt like they were in trouble, if that makes any sense. But, again, you know, an effort, a good effort that comes up short. I still believe we can make the tournament, and I still expect to make the tournament. And maybe that's wishful thinking on my part. Uh, but I do believe this is a team that is very capable, when they're healthy, of, of beating nearly anybody. You know, the Texas Tech thing, I think, exposed a little bit, you know, some size matchups that perhaps don't favor us. And to be honest with you, I think Texas Tech right now, if I had to call it, probably the best team we played all year, and that includes Kentucky. I think Texas Tech is really, really good. Um, so we're going to preview the Tennessee matchup here a little bit later. That is going to be a nine, a February 9th, 8 p.m. tip, startable time, and that's going to be on ESPN2. And that's a game, too. We start looking at these games on the schedule – and start thinking, hey, hey, Steve, we got to win one of these games we're not expected to. That's one of them. And we'll talk about that one on Wednesday's show uh, kind of in depth uh, to kind of break those guys down. But uh, let's take a quick look at what is left. Tennessee at our place, I, I, I'm almost at the point where I consider it a must win because we have been so dreadful on the road. We have to win that game because we're going to go to Baton Rouge and Alabama back-to-back games after that. And if, if the chalk holds, you lose the Tennessee game and you don't pick up a road win, that's, th- that's four consecutive losses, which really it removes any possibility of us making the NCAA tournament unless we win the SEC tournament. So this is that defining stretch in the season. So we've got to find a way to get that dub against Tennessee. And, of course, LSU not playing really good basketball as of late either. And so you look at that LSU team and say, like, okay, we could win that one. Alabama has been – you know, kind of schizophrenic as of late, too. You never know which Alabama team is going to show up. We have not played well in Tuscaloosa during the Ben Howland era. But every one of these games you look at and you say, you know what, hey, if we go out there and play to our potential, we could win all three of these games. You win all three of these games, let's say you win two of these three games, all of a sudden you start feeling a whole lot better about your opportunities in the postseason. But it all starts in Tennessee. Because I, I, if we lose a Tennessee game – and then you're looking at a stretch where basically you go, uh, you know, one and three during that defining stretch, potentially. So we got to find a way to win a couple ball games here. And we got to prove it. Ben Howland said as much. You know, we've got to prove that we're a tournament team. I think we've proven that we're in contention. But we've got to kind of remove all doubt about this team. And uh, you're only going to be able to do that on the floor. Doesn't matter how much you say it, I say it, or what anybody else says or does, the bottom line is, Mississippi State's got to go win some basketball games. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And then, of course, after this defining stretch, you get the home-and-home with Missouri. We go go to South Carolina. Vanderbilt comes here. Auburn comes here. And then we go to A&M, and A&M is not playing well either. And so that looked like a really difficult ball game here a couple weeks ago. Now all of a sudden you start thinking, hey, that's at best, you know, a toss-up for them. But we have got to prove that we can go into somebody else's gym and put on a dark-colored jersey and win a ball game. 
that's the thing when I look at this the road to the NCAA tournament for us is going to come on the road you start counting these things down you got one two three four five remaining road games there's no way you can lose all five of those road games and make a tournament I'm just I'm, I'm just putting that out there for anybody that wants to pay attention you lose those five road games it's going to be very very difficult very, very difficult to finish above 500 in this league, and I don't think that's going to be good enough. I don't think going eight and ten in this league is going to get you in a tournament. It's just not. All right, let's uh, talk to our friend Close with Blair. Let's talk about him. We're not going to have him on the show as much as he would like to be on the show. We're not going to do that. Many of you have thought, you know what, hey Steve, I've always wanted to buy a house. I don't know how to go about it. I'd love to do it, and maybe I don't want to go down to my local bank and have them see my credit report and that sort of stuff, and I don't want to give them my business or whatever for whatever reason. Talk to somebody outside your circle. Talk to my guy, Blair Chandler, from CloseWithBlair.com. at C-L-O-S-E with Blair.com. Blair is an outstanding individual doing a great job in the mortgage industry. It pays to have a friend when you have to navigate through something difficult like getting a mortgage. And, you know, here's the deal, too. Maybe you're a person that's a little bit overextended at this time. You know, maybe you've got racked up some credit card debt. Maybe, or maybe you want to do some home improvements. Get your equity working for you. Let Blair help you. Refinance your mortgage. Maybe you want to change the term. Maybe you want to get some cash out. Maybe you want to put it in a pool. Maybe you want to do all sorts of things. Maybe you've got a wedding to pay for. You know, I don't know. Visit him at closeofblair.com. I'm going to give you his phone number, too. Because here's the deal. Blair's one of us. He's one of you. He's a boneyarder. His phone number is 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And if you mentioned to him, you heard about him on the boneyard, whether you do it by email or by you know, text or by phone, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a five dollars to $600 value. How cool is that? That's how bad he wants your business. There are a lot of people out there that would love to be able to, uh, to review your, your application. Are they going to pay for your appraisal? You get the Ken Folks discount with CloseWithBlair.com. Okay, let's get into today's top ten list. Now, here's the deal. This is a great band that didn't get great support from their record company. But if you were a Sirius XM Octane listener, you know, in the early 2000s, you probably heard this band a lot. I absolutely love this band. though I think their first two albums are flawless, especially the second one, Duality. I don't think there's a bad track on that album. I'm talking about the band Ra, R-A, Ra. And so, Ani reached out to me last week, my oldest son, and said, hey, have you done a top 10 Ra? Well, I hadn't. And I hadn't really considered these guys, but there was a time that that was kind of the soundtrack of my life. I absolutely love these guys. I think Sahaj, the vocalist, is one of the best vocalists in modern rock. I mean, he's not on the level of Brent Kennedy or, or uh, Brent Kennedy, Brent Smith or Miles Kennedy, but he is outstanding and uh, used to date uh, Cameron Diaz. How about that? That's pretty cool, right? A little trivia on that. So here's another thing, too, about this band, too. The bass player in Ra is also the bass player in Trickster. Yeah, that's right. Give it to me good. Yeah, those guys. So P.J. Farley doing double duty, and what happens in Ra is unlike anything that you hear in Trickster. The guy's a great bass player, shows a lot of versatility. So this is your raw top 10 list. Now, I'm, I'm giving you a gift here. If you are unfamiliar with this band and you like modern rock, this is going to be a band you're going to really dig. Great vocals, very layered sound, not too industrial, but these guys can really play. 
And the fact that they didn't get better support from Universal is really a, a joke. And uh, I know when they, uh, they changed A&R guys, I guess, and one of the executives at Universal had listened to the, the Duality album. He goes, I think we're making a huge mistake by not promoting these guys more. Well, they, they didn't. This is one of those hidden gems. Rah. Here is uh, your honorable mentions. Uh, Tell Me, Awake, Rectifier, and they do a wonderful rendition of the police song, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic. You weren't expecting to hear that today. Probably should be on one of our great cover lists, but there you go. Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic. That's on the Duality album, which I think is the best album. But here are the top ten raw songs. From the Critical Mass album, It's All Over Now, and that's an album that I'm not quite as well versed in. I've kind of just listened to the hits on that one. That is a, it's a cool album, but it's not one that I have listened to extensively. But I do like that track. It's all over now. Number nine, an incredible ballad. And this is where I think we really see the songwriting ability and this wonderful vocal range of Sahaj. It's a swimming upstream. And it's basically about, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a song of unrequited love. It's like there's this guy and this, this girl, and they get along great, and he loves her, and she doesn't love him. And thus, the title of the song is, you know, I'm swimming upstream for you. All right, number eight, and uh, this has a great guest spot on it. From the newest album from last year, Intercorrupted, it's Nobody Loves, Nobody Loves You featuring LeJean Witherspoon from Seven Dust. You guys are familiar with that guy, one of the coolest guys in all rock and roll. Had a chance to meet LeJean in Rocklahoma. Guy's outstanding. He goes, hey, man, just call me LJ. So LJ does a great job on this one. And, uh, again, it's Nobody Loves You. That's the newest album. So if you're familiar with the earlier albums in the catalog, and maybe perhaps this got lost in the shuffle because they're with a different record company now, it's worth listening to. Number seven, th- for there were times this was my favorite Ross song. There are times at different – like when my dad was really sick, I used to listen to this song a lot. And it's a song called Superman. And, uh, you know, the chorus basically is life is hard, but so is everything. Um, but it's, it's one of those songs, too. It's, it's kind of got a healing aspect to it. I really dig it. It's number seven, Superman. Number six, off the album From One, the debut album from Ra. This is, this is a ballad that was not released as a single. There weren't many singles released because the record company didn't want to put any money behind this very talented band. But it's a song called Walking and Thinking. And again, it's another one of these lover's lament type songs. But it is an absolutely beautiful song. It is absolutely beautiful. The instrumentation is near perfect. The vocal delivery is top shelf. The lyrical content is remarkable. I really believe if this song had been released as a single on modern rock radio, that it would have been a hit. I think it would certainly have been a top ten hit. It's Walking and Thinking, your number six song. Number five, and this is one of Ani's favorite Ross songs, off the Black Sun album, it's Don't Turn Away. And, again, I think they had evolved a lot. This is, again, they would moved on from Universal, and I think they had a little more freedom with the new record company. Actually released this under their own label with the backing of another company. Uh, But Don't Turn Away was a mainstay on the uh, Sirius XM Octane Biggins Countdown if you're familiar with that. That's a top 10 songs in, in modern rock each week as voted on by the listeners of Octane, the Octane Air Force, if you're unfamiliar with that. Don't Turn Away, a great, great track, number five. All right, number four, this is another one that I believe would have been a huge hit on modern rock radio. It had been released, 
this is one of those songs that when I put on, I, I got to make sure the cruise is set because if I don't, I'm going to end up speeding. I love the changes in this one. You know, there, there are some songs that are just kind of twos and fours, and you find a great rhythm, and, and the bass player just finds a pocket. And next thing you know, it's hey, it's it's a really cool vibe. This is one of those songs where you kind of go on a bit of a ride. And I love when they kind of come out of the refrain and they, they kind of blow up the vocal a little bit. The harmonies on this are great, but it's the only one. Number four, I don't want to be the only one, number four. Now, I suspect those of us that are raw fans, and I know many of you are not now, but you will be if you listen to this list. These are the top three songs. And I think you could probably get into an argument over which ones are the top songs. But I think we would all agree after you listen to this list, hey, those are the best three. We may disagree on the order. Uh, number three, if I, if I ever put a band back together, I would love to cover the song. I just don't know if we could do it because it is, it is so technically proficient. The song Broken Hearted Soul is number three on your list. It starts out with this beautiful flamenco acoustic piece that is just absolutely next level. And then as he finishes that, next thing you know, you hear the guitar fading in, the electric guitar fading in, and then that percussion kicks in, and it is phenomenal. The vocal on it is great, and uh, that's, you know, Sahaj is very, very consistent, but uh, Broken Hearted Soul is just one of these ones that uh, if you don't know this band, and you don't know this song, you owe it to yourself to listen to this one. Broken Hearted Soul, number three, off the Black Sun album. Number two, the debut single, the one that really started it all for them, it's got a long introduction, and it's kind of got a uh, Middle Eastern vibe in it, like there is some instrumentation in it that maybe is not typically associated with rock music. But there is just kind of a unique vibe to it, and it's uh, Do You Call My Name? And I love the part in the beginning. I I used to mess with him. Like, we'd be traveling or whatever. There's a part, and he says, kill me with the beat. He whispers it in, kill me with the beat. I would do it offbeat just to get his goat. He would look at me, you're always early on that. And sometimes I really was early, but once I found out that it irritated him, I did it even more. But do you call my name, number two? And that's really the debut single. It really got started for them out of Boston. Uh, Even before they were signed as a band, it was released as a limited EP, and the song took off. Next thing you know, you know, record companies got involved and uh, signed these guys. But that was the one that kind of made it all happen. It's Do You Call My Name off the album from one. Number one for me, and there is a great, 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 great introduction to this on the album. That's one of the things about modern rock that I, that I, I wish there was more of. Is uh, you know, That was a cool thing back in, in the 80s. And I know I'm from the, the 1900s, so you have to forgive me. We would have these great intros, and then you would have the you'd have the radio edit, and you'd have the album edit, and so the radio edit would be shorter. But when you got the album, you had these wonderful intros that kind of you know were part of the song, and that's how the album duality starts. The very beginning is kind of a spoken word deal with some really eerie music behind it called Fear. It's narrated by Peter Strauss. And then it kicks into this great song called Fallen Angels. And I think this song might be the best song many of you have never heard of. Fallen Angels by Ra. I think it is just, the, it's one of those deals we talk about, you have defining songs in people's catalogs. You say, yeah, this is the song. When I hear this song, it makes me want to listen to more And as I, as I hit the, uh, the play button on the phone. 
Um, I think that when, if you listen to Fallen Angels, you're going to say, hey, you know what, Steve was right about these guys. These guys are legit. I need to learn more. But it's Fallen Angels by Ra. Uh, I had a lot of fun putting this list together. I listened to a lot of Ra uh, the last couple of days when I was traveling. And it reminds me of how much I love this catalog. There's just that album duality from start to finish is just fabulous. It is absolutely fabulous. And there's so many bands out there that had the sophomore slump. And From One is really, really good. It's really, really good. But they took a big jump in album two with duality. And it's amazing to me to read this stuff about how the record company didn't really believe in the album and didn't support it. And I think once you listen to it, you're going to be like, you know what? These guys are idiots. These guys can really rock. How could a record company not financially support this band? But unfortunately, that's happened to a lot of bands um, in the modern rock era. There are just a lot of companies out there that aren't willing to invest in rock and roll. And so it's up to people like me and you to keep that alive. So there you go, your top 10 raw songs brought to you by the fine folks at closewithblair.com. Let's get into some college baseball. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Standing man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, everybody down there will take care of you. Our, our good friend Cheyenne is leaving the crew, headed to New York City. That's right. If I can say it like the Pace Picante people, New York City. Yep, she's going up there to work for a little while. She has graduated, and when she's also graduated from Campus Book Mart, even though she's still going to handle some social media stuff for them, so we'll still have some, some interaction with her, but uh, wish her the absolute best. And that's the thing, too. Most of the people that work at Campus Book Mart work there for a while because it's a family atmosphere, and they're doing a great job taking care of the bigger family, which is the Mississippi State family, the Maroon and White family. If you're looking for the latest in Mississippi State merch, you can find it in their store. Or if you can't make it to town, perhaps you live out of state and they don't carry Mississippi State merch in your neck of the woods, shop local. Visit campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. You're cheating yourself. Be sure and order those uh, M over S hoodies. I was in there last week and picked up a couple shirts too. Even got uh, even got the kid a NAFL championship hoodie. They still have some NAFL championship merch. Uh, be sure and swing by there or order online. Uh, we're going to be celebrating that NAFL championship the rest of our lives. So you probably need some fresh championship gear. You may have already worn your other stuff out. Maybe you only got T-shirts because it was the summertime. Go ahead and outfit yourself for early college baseball season with that M over S hoodie or perhaps some NAFL championship merch. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, so let's uh, talk some baseball stuff. I love being around baseball, and I'll be honest with you guys, as much as I love covering recruiting and as much as I love going to football stuff, like if somebody came to me one day and said, hey, Steve, we just need you to cover Mississippi State baseball year-round, I'd be like, cool, all right, fine, let's do it. I'd miss the excitement of signing day. You know, I'd miss the crystal balls and the predictions. And, and as bad as it all gets sometimes, you know, when we get blindsided by something, I hate it, but it's a part of me too. I kind of love it because I respect it, you know, because it makes it when you get it right mean that much more because it is so unpredictable. But if somebody said, hey, you know, Steve, listen, late in your career or whatever, if you just want to cover college baseball, we're all cool with that. Hey, I could do it, man. I love the vibe. I love being around the ballpark. There's so many times that I've said, if they tell me I got 24 hours to live, take me up a dirty noble field one more time. Just let me go sit in the press box one more time. Wheel me around the complex one more time. It's a magical place. 
And I remember so many times, you know, before I was a resident of Starkville, I'd come up here and cover a ball game, and I would dream of days like this. And I would say, you know, I can't wait till I can cover the beat full time and be here. And there's so many nights when I walk out of Duty Noble Field, I stop and I take it all in. I stop and I look at that beautiful patch of grass that our players get to be a part of and uh, that, you know, Brandon and those guys do such a great job maintaining that great playing surface. And uh, I just think to myself, there's no, worse, there's no place in the world I'd rather be than Dirty Noble Field. It is just a special place for me. Like people say, oh, this is my happy place. You know, well, you know, that, that sounds really cute. But I think, you know, there is something even bigger than happiness. I think there is this whole feeling of belonging. And that's kind of how I feel when I go to Duty Noble Field. I think about all the memories that we have all shared together. And it's a place where you belong. It's a place where you have spent time with your dad or your granddad or your brothers, your sisters. It's like there's so many great memories of being there that, that even you know, kind of extend beyond just, quote, being happy. You know, there's a nostalgia with all of that. There's an investment emotionally of being at that sacred ballpark and knowing that it's ours, there were times, you're going to laugh at this. There were times like when we get ready to unveil the stadium, and there are sometimes like I, I would make that little turn off 12 and go down College View, and I, and I would just walk, I'd sit at that stop sign, and I would think to myself, I cannot believe this is ours. And I have so many friends that would come by for coffee or whatever, and I'd say, hey, let's go see the ballpark. But let me, let me take you by, let me show you around the stadium. And just go out there, and people just were so just blown away by the enormity of it all. And so I get excited about that, knowing that we're about to be able to go through that again because there is going to come a time when we're not going to be able to do that. And the longer that I live and the older that I get, the more I appreciate these because, you know, we always talked about, you know, maybe next year. Well, next year finally came for us last year, and we finally got it. And so many people have said, Steve, and I even signed some books. They said, now we can all die happy, you know. The only thing better than one NAFL championship, though, is two. And so before I go, I'd like to get another one, you know. But even if we don't, there is just something special about the baseball experience at Mississippi State. And if you're not a part of that, it's difficult to explain. Like, it's difficult to make an outsider understand that, that there is just a camaraderie and an esprit de corps among our fans at Duty Noble Field. It is the place we come together to lose ourselves and find ourselves at the same time. And it's like, you know, I talk about LSU a lot because in many respects they're a program that I kind of aspire to be. You know, they had their great run with Skip Burpman, and we had a huge head start on them, and they, they passed us and put up, you know, five NAFL championships with Skip. And it's like you begin to ask yourself, it's like, how did, we, how did this not happen? How did this not happen for us? What's finally happened, I had so many people in college baseball, especially in the media, that talked about how – it was so big for Mississippi State to win the NFL championship, not just for Mississippi State, but for the game of college baseball. It's like you look at what Mississippi State has invested in baseball. You look at what Mississippi State has invested in facilities, what they've done in salaries. And for us not to get the payoff, it gave other athletic directors around the country an excuse and say, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we want to, you know, submit a budget with uh, more money allocated for baseball. I mean, look at Mississippi State. They're spending as much as anybody in the country, and they, they can't win the big one. And so now we've shown that we can win the ultimate reward. And so I think it's not only good for us, it's good for the game of college baseball. And sure, it might make it a little more competitive, but at the end of the day, and, and I wrote about this in Dogpile, and I discussed this on Bo Bound Show, 
Mississippi State has always been ahead of the curve when it's come to college baseball. There were some times we kind of got big for our britches and maybe got a little bit complacent. But the reality of it is, is we have always made watching baseball at Duty Noble Field an experience, unlike any other in all of college baseball. And a lot of that's you. But a lot of that's the university. A lot of it's tradition and culture. You know, I go back to uh, you know, something I wrote about in the book, too, about you know, Dutch McCool. Many of you know Dutch McCool from uh, the fact that he gave the seed money to build McCool Hall and um, named it after his parents. It's not named after him. You maybe didn't know that, but it's true. You know, Dutch was the guy here, and he was a former teammate of Paul Gregory, and he gave us some money for lights, and it changed everything. It absolutely changed everything. Because back in those days, college baseball was an afternoon game. It was an afternoon matinee. You know, the students would come out after class and go out there and cheer for their classmates. But it was difficult for the working man and woman in Starkville. And there wasn't a lot of working women back then. It's a different day and time. But it was difficult for them to get to the ball games. Well, then Dutch McCool and, and Coach Gregory put the lights up. Well, now all of a sudden, it became an event. It wasn't just, hey, the boys are playing. It's like now, okay, I can go be a part of this. And the crowds begin to grow. And this love affair between this community and Mississippi State baseball really took hold and took a different level. And so when I think about other things that have happened, I go back and think about Ron Polk and my interview with him and all the great things that happened during his tenure. You know how Polk was you know, a big part of him and Jim Ellis creating the baseball radio network. He says when he go, went to Georgia, he couldn't get any support to do it because everybody was carrying the Braves. And, again, that shows how unique this relationship is within our state. And it was huge for branding. If you listen to college baseball on the radio in the 1970s and 80s and even into the 90s, you listen to Mississippi State. Ole Miss just had a handful of affiliates. We had everybody. Because Bulldog baseball was a brand. It was a religion in some respects. Ron Polk was the first full-time head baseball coach in Southeastern Conference history. That wasn't his decision. That was the administration's decision. It's like, hey, we're going to commit to baseball. And Polk told me, and you'll read this in Dogpile, that you know, you know, some of his peers, you know, this guy had to run transportation. This guy had to run the, run the, run the equipment room for football. This guy had to sell insurance on the side just to be able to pay his mortgage. You know, it's like – all these things, and you think, you know, hey, we have, we have always been true to baseball. We built this amazing cathedral out here to kind of demonstrate our loyalty to the game of baseball. And so when I think about the fact that we're all about to gather again, and I don't know if they're going to hang a new flag up there in, in right center field. I don't know. They've changed the graphic. You know, I, I took that picture the other day and put it on Twitter. You know, the day of the celebration, you know, they had the one NAFL championship thing up there, and a lot of you didn't like it. And fortunately, it was temporary. And so now we've gone with the NAFL championship logo out there at right center, which is outstanding. And I hope, that, I hope we basically turn uh, the outfield fences of Duty Noble basically into a graffiti scene because we have so many NAFL championships and conference titles and things of that nature that we want to show off and celebrate. I don't want it to be tacky, but you kind of understand my point. I don't want you to be able to go anywhere in Duty Noble Field and not see some great accomplishment from this great baseball program. But I know this. I know that when we take Duty Noble Field this year, when we go, when we're there and we gather up for the Long Beach State Series, it's going to feel a little different, and it is. It's going to be different because we don't have to wonder if this is the year because we've already done it. And now we're thinking, hey, let's go get another one. 
And you know, we can. We absolutely can. There's still a couple position battles that are up to, you know, R.J. Yeager is likely going to be your starting second baseman. I mean, he has had a really, really good preseason. That's transfer in. You say, oh, Steve, I don't know the guy well. Well, probably going to be a double-digit home run guy, right? You know, Davis Mash out there competing too. He'll be a guy that'll play some too. And, and, and you know how Chris is. Chris plays a lot of guys, gets guys reps midweek. Um, but I expect it to be R.J. Yeager. And then, of course, center field is still kind of up for grabs too. You know, Jess Davis and Braywin Skinner have competed. And as I mentioned on the show a few weeks back, there was a possibility of Cameron James playing center field. Well, he started in center field and won at scrimmages here a couple days ago and made a great catch at the wall. So that's a possibility too because here's the deal. If we're not getting great offensive production out of the center field spot, and we have some elite defenders out there, but if we're not getting great offensive production and maybe moving Cameron James out there, and that may be his future anyway, as in the outfield, and it allows you to get, you know, Slate Offord or somebody else, another another offensive stick to the plate, then you got to do it. And Lamontis is a defensive-minded coach, very much so. But you can't get so caught up in trading defense for offense. And you've got to be able to have the opportunity to, you know, defend your position, but you also got to be well-balanced enough to score. I, mean, we, I, I wrote that story about Luke Hancock this morning, and it reminds me, too, about all the moves we made last year. You know, Luke Hancock had never played first base, and he had to learn to play in the Southeastern Conference. And we're on the road at South Carolina, and he muffed one. Wasn't, wasn't the best throw, but it was good enough. Luke should have had it. He'll tell you the same. And he muffed it. Well, then the next time we hit one over to Lane Forsyth, and, and he's a freshman too, and an elite defender. But now all of a sudden, you know, you've had one where you guys dropped it, and it's just human nature to think maybe i got to be a little bit too perfect with this throw, and we throw it away. Ultimately led to us losing the Sunday game, prevented us from getting a sweep there in Columbia. And now all of a sudden you talk to Luke, and it's like, you know, hey, I've had to fall to work here. And down the stretch, he was outstanding last year. And listen, he's 5'11", maybe, maybe. Uh, he's 5'11". You know, so he's not the big rangy West Ray, even Josh Hatcher type, you know, long-limbed guy with a great catch radius that can uh, dig balls out of there that are really off target. But, you know, his you know, background as a catcher, he knows how to dig balls out of the dirt. But he was outstanding for us last year. And here's the thing, too, about Luke. He's a baseball player. He's not just a catcher. He's a baseball player. You know, we had high hopes for him the day he got here. And then he has a career year for us last year. Now he's one of the leaders on the team. But you move him to first base, and it, and it takes Hatchie out. And uh, listen, I love Josh, man. Josh is a great young man, and wish him the best at Kennesaw State. But he had the great year in 2020, like down the stretch. He was hitting the baseball better than he ever had here. But for some reason, he could not get on track last year. And so Lamonis has to make a difficult decision. And Hatcher is a plus defender at first base. So here's the situation where we're taking a guy that's hitting about 200 out of the lineup and we're putting Hancock in you remember the very first time we did it Luke looked lost out there but he figured it out you know we had the deal last year too Cam James is going to be the everyday shortstop we started him out there at short and, and we made a lot of errors and Landon Jordan is playing third and uh, didn't do anything to lose the job you know he's a bit of a punch and Judy hitter but we moved Cam to third and insert Forsyth into the lineup at short, which made us a much better defensive team. And Cam still had some struggles at times, but down the stretch he was outstanding. People forget he won, he was the most outstanding player 
of the Starkville Regional in the tournament last year. And then the, the defense that he played in Omaha was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You go back and look at those Vanderbilt games and look how well he played and how comfortable he looked. And ultimately, that move cost us Landon Jordan. He left the team. And I get it. It's like, hey, I didn't do anything to lose a job. He was actually hitting pretty well. Playing pretty good defense over there, too. And now he's now he's gone. He transferred to South Alabama. Wish him the absolute best. I, Auburn, harbor no ill will in my heart towards that guy. Because you only get a short time in life play sports, right? Well, then at times there, you had Cam James, you know, uh, you had Tanner Laggett playing third and Cam in a DH spot, which kind of clogged the DH spot up. You know, Tanner, again, a guy that was, you know, a good defender, wasn't a great offensive player, but it had some big hits. Just a matter of fact, hit a three-run bomb in a scrimmage the other day, just yesterday. And that's the thing about having depth and having pieces. And so now all of a sudden we make Tanner kind of a utility guy. And Tanner, of course, started some at second. You know, Scotty DeBrill had some struggles at time defensively and let a couple pop-ups drop. So we put Tanner Laggett over there, and I thought Tanner put together a really good stretch. But Cam goes back to third, and it enables you to bring a healthy Kellum Clark into the lineup at DH. Now, where would we have been in the postseason without Kellum Clark? Think about the big hits down the stretch. Now, he's got to get the average up, right? He does. But think about the postseason that guy had and the big hits that he had. And, and the home run he hit against Griff McGarry to break up a no-hitter against Virginia to keep us in a winner's bracket. It's one of the biggest home runs in the history of Mississippi State baseball. This guy's an outstanding player. He hadn't had a great preseason, though, but I think he'll get it going. I'm not that worried about that. I think one of the things you're doing now if you're his coach is you're not grooving fastballs. You're making him hit other stuff to prepare him for the season. That's the thing about these preseason scrimmages. It's not just a home run derby contest. We're trying to get that guy out like our opponents will, trying to teach him to to elevate and kind of change – his approach to hitting. That's just kind of how things work. But when you begin to think about the puzzle pieces having to be shifted into place, you know, what if we could run the season this year and not have to play musical chairs? You may go back a couple years. You remember when Gunner was here? You know, we go out and we get Gunner, and he's one of the top home run hitters in junior college, and, and then it doesn't really translate well here. He drops a bunch of weight when he gets here can't handle the uh, middle infield. We move him to third and move Foscue from third to second. All of a sudden, you've got one of the better middle infield combos in the country. And, yeah, Westberg had some times throwing the ball up and away. He did. But you got ended up getting two first-rounders in the middle. Gunner goes to third. Gunner had the big walk-off hit against LSU in the SEC tournament. You may remember that, big 17-inning game. Then Marshall Gilbert becomes your third baseman. And here's the deal, too. Marshall Gilbert's a catcher. But again, catchers are real people, too. And catchers are tough. And Marshall Gilbert goes out there and learns how to body things up. And he went, listen, he wasn't an elite third baseman, but that guy was a huge part of why we went to Omaha back in 19. You may recall, too, he had the big walk-off against Auburn in the College World Series. Now, we've had some some shuffling to do during the Chris Simonis era, and that's what good managers do. And so I began to think about, what, you know, when do we find our stride this year? Because you go back and look, you know, once we put Forsyth in at short, we put Cam at third, and then, uh, you know, stuck with um, 
Kellum as a DH, all of a sudden the offense took off and the defense improved. What if we could do that in March? Or what if we could do it in February? How good could we be? How many games did we lose last year you know, defensively? And people forget how much we struggled. And when you read Dogpile, you're going to remember a lot of that stuff because I talked about we A lot of the discussion early on was about our poor offensive play. And we got it going later. You know, I mean, I'm just looking, you know, looking back, I got the stats actually here in front of me. It's like, and people forget this. We, we beat Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. We beat them 4 nothing on March 10th. We had four hits. We come back, you know, later <laughs> that same week, and we nearly get no hit, and we walk it off against Eastern Michigan. We score four runs on four hits. We go down there and we beat LSU in game two. Remember that? We should have swept those clowns. We scored three runs on four hits. We go to Arkansas. Excuse me. Arkansas comes here and just absolutely embarrasses us. We scored two runs on four hits. We lose the Ole Miss game with Doug Nikhazy, which is a, a fantastic outing by him. We get one hit. And I was a little bleeder, if I remember it correctly. We go to Vanderbilt that Friday night against Kumar, two runs on three hits. And, of course, we we destroyed Leiter the next day. But, you know, we were very inconsistent at the plate, and that's baseball sometimes. That's baseball sometimes. Sometimes you got to be efficient your output. But the reality of it is, is there were times last year we were just pretty mediocre offensively. We were able to get the timely hit, but we weren't necessarily a potent offense. Now, I think, honestly, this lineup we have today has the potential to be a little more dangerous one through nine. Now, we're going to miss T.A. and Rowdy like the deserts miss the rain, especially late in ball games. And Chris and I have talked about it before. It, just, it was so crazy how T.A. always seemed to find his way to the plate in the ninth inning. And that's the guy we wanted up there, our guy against their guy. You know, who takes that role this year? We've talked about that before here on the show. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, we kind of figured some things out late. We found our identity late, and that's what good managers do. But what's that going to do for us this year? Because we've got so many pieces returning, perhaps we can settle the order and the lineup a little bit earlier. I'm curious to see who's going to be the leadoff hitter. Is it going to be whoever wins the center field job? I mean, would you want to move Cam James at hop in the order? Uh, Luke Hancock doesn't have elite speed. I like him as a two-hole guy. like him as a five-hole guy. You know, I think he's a guy that uh, is always going to put the ball in play. You can hit and run with him a little bit. So, interesting, to say the least. You know, those are things that Chris Simonis will figure out. But uh, I like this team, and I begin to think about, you know, R.J. Yeager as an addition, as a guy that hit a bunch of home runs. And what's Brad Compass going to do this year now that he can play every day? We forget about that, too, that that, that battle in left field was something that was uh, – that really lingered into the postseason. You know, we even tried Kellum Clark out there in the SEC tournament. Maybe, maybe you've forgotten that, too. You know, that was some things that weren't – there were a lot of spots last year. We talk about the pitching, how it took us a while to, to settle the pitching. It took us a while to settle the defense. It took us a while to settle the order. You know, and now Brad Cumbus has a chance to play every day. You know, Brad played like, – we, we played, what, 68 games last year? Brad played in 49, started 33. So, he started less than half of the games. And now, all of a sudden, he's going to play every day, and he's had the benefit of fall baseball. He also has had the benefit of not having his body beat up by the sport of football. 
But, you know, Brad's a guy that hit five home runs last year in less than half of the games and has half of the at-bats as the normal nine. And he had five dingers and 21 ribbies. Then you begin to think about, okay, well, you know, Logan Tanner's back, and Logan had 15 dingers last year. Cameron James had 12. Luke Hancock had 10. Kellum Clark is a guy that uh, we, we talk about him a lot, too. Guys, Kellum Clark played in 26, started 26 games last year, most of those in a DH role. He appeared in 33 games. People forget he was sick last year a lot. Had a pretty wild situation going on that the staff handled really, really well. Allowed him and his family to deal with it and kind of protect him. And next thing you know, we get him back. And I saw him the other day, and he's put on about 15 pounds, he tells me. You get that big guy playing every – let's see what he can do playing in 68 games. What is Kellum Clark going to do with 245 bats? You know, look at last year. You know, look at his numbers. Guys, he had 93 at bats. 93. 22 hits, 22 runs. That's getting it done, isn't it? That's pretty efficient. Of those 22 hits, seven doubles, a triple, five home runs. So what's he going to do? Now, all of a sudden, you know, your corner outfielders, you're like, okay, we've settled these guys, and both of these guys have double-digit home run potential. And then you add R.J. Yeager to the mix, who's a guy that, that has some pop too, and so you start thinking, okay, this is a team that ought to be able to hit the long ball. This is a team that ought to be able to get extra base hits. You know, and you know, Scotty DeBrule was one of my favorite guys to watch hit, even though I never expected him to hit one out, and he didn't. But nobody could pimp a walk quite like Scotty DeBrule. And he played the head games with pitchers. And those are the nuances of the games that I think a lot of people miss. Scotty was a smarmy, smart aleck in the box. And it irritated pitchers. And I had so many of our pitchers tell me last year after he got here that he was just an irritant on the bases. That he was just one of those guys that, uh, you know, it's like, what do you, what do, you do? He's over there and – He's getting his lead. He's kicking dirts around. He's bluffing. You know, it's like he's getting in your head. And so all of that is rather interesting to me. So who takes on that role? But when I began to think about the power numbers, I think, you know, hey, you know, last year we had uh, five guys have double-digit home runs in an era when uh, the home run is still a bit of a novelty. But now all of a sudden you begin to think about, okay, I'm returning three of those guys of the five I'm adding a guy, and then two of the guys that had uh, five home runs are going to play every day now. So if you begin to get these guys healthy, you start thinking, okay, we may be a team that might be a lot more potent offensively. Those are the things that excite me. Now, as a team last year, people forget this. We hit 278 as a team. That's not exactly lighting the woods on fire. Tanner Allen hit 383. Yeah. Who's going to be that guy this year? Rowdy hit 323. And outside of that, of your regulars, nobody else hit above 300 until you get down to Brad Cumbus. Even Luke Hancock, as, as disciplined as he is at the plate, only hit 262. We need him up there around 300 or better. So we'll see how things progress, to say the least. You know, and, you know, LT's a guy, too, that, uh, you know, he could be a little more selective at times, too. But uh, this is a guy that hit 15 bombs last year. Might hit 20 this year. And you say, well, Steve, people are going to pitch around him. Well, when you begin to think about what we just talked about, with all this power in the order, you're going to have the opportunity to protect that guy. You're going to have a chance to protect him. And that's not always the case.
in the Southeastern Conference. And it's going to be a very offensive league. You've heard Chris Lamona say it. There's so many people that uh, have a lot of veterans back. That's an important part of this thing, too. And, and, and really, I think the teams that can pitch it a little bit are going to be in great shape. The teams that can pitch above average are going to win a lot of games. And I don't know that there's not going to be – I don't know if it's going to be the year of the Friday night starter. You know, last year we had a really good year with Friday night guys around the league. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. I know that there will be some teams, obviously. But, you know, you begin to look at, you know, Hogland and Nikhazy are gone at Ole Miss, right? You know, that are Arkansas, you know, that rotation was kind of piecemealed together and they just kind of turned over to you know, the cops and – you know, you had Xavier Hill at, at, at LSU last year. And you had Florida, seen Tommy Mason, those guys move along. And so you don't have a lot of those established guys. You know, Christian McLeod, Will Bednar are gone for us. And we, we feel like we've got a really good guy, Landon Sims. But when you look around the league and you begin to look, okay, it's going to be more offensive. And we may not have those first future first, a lot of those future first rounders on Friday night. And I think you're going to see, you know, some church league softball quality scores as we get deeper into these weekends. So if you can pitch it a little bit, and I think we can, then you got a chance to be one of the top teams in this league. And you know what that means. That gives you an opportunity, obviously, to um, to be a top eight national seed. And that's what we want. That's what we're working towards. We'd love to win the SEC en route to being a top eight national seed. You know, that that's really the, the bigger issue. Look at some numbers, too. Uh, you know, Gene does a great job putting these numbers together for us. Uh, just hitting some numbers from Sunday scrimmage. The hitting highlights, Von Siebert, two for two with a double. One of our newcomers coming in. Uh, Revy Higgins, one for two. Matt Quarter was one for two. Also had a sack bunt. Tanner Leggett, one for three with that big three-run jack for the win. Pitching highlights, Jack Walker through three innings. Allowed two unearned runs on three hits, no walks, struck out two. Uh, Brooks Auger, three, in, three innings, no runs, two hits, no walks, struck out four. Brandon Smith, who is a guy that I think can be money for us in, in, in that bullpen. I think he's a guy that could probably help us close out some games. You know, we'll see. He's a, he's a sinker ball guy. Ground ball machine. Brandon Smith, the four innings, allowed no runs on one hit, one walk, to go along with three strikeouts. Pitching velocities, Jack Walker topped out 92 miles per hour. Brooks Auger, 93. Brandon Smith, 91. Bradley Wilson, 89. Looking at the hitting stats from yesterday, R.J. Yeager, one for three with an RBI, struck out once. Uh, Brad Cumbus, 0 for three with a couple of Ks. Luke Hancock, one for three in an RBI. Uh, Braylon Skinner, Cam James, 0 for two. You know, so it wasn't a huge offensive showing. But, uh, you know, we're, we're figuring this thing out. You know, we're figuring this deal out. Um, and uh, some questions, too. People wonder about Jackson Fristo. He's expected to pitch uh, today. And uh, – it's, you know, Foxhall's got some work to do to kind of sort this, to, to define the roles. And the best way to do that, obviously, is to get the guys on the field, see how they perform in their squad, and then see what they do, you know, when the band is playing, when you guys are there. So we'll see. But I'm excited about the season. I'm excited about the book, but uh, the book gets me more excited for the season as well because I remember how special those memories we all made together last year. Speaking of Diamond Dogs, our good friend Brooks Bryan, part of a great group of developers, bringing a wonderful residential development to Starkville. That's Portico. That's right. You've heard about it. You wonder what all the fuss is about. Well, you can find out by going by and checking it out yourself. You turn off 82 on a 12, take the very first right, which is Pat Station Road. That'll take you to the little four-way stop there. I recently fixed that bridge there going to town, which is really nice and neat. 
and uh, you can go and check out Portico. A great place to live. A great place to maybe make it your second home too. You know, maybe you're thinking, hey, we want to go ahead and build a place there. We're going to retire there when we're done. Um, then Portico is a good place for you too. You can have a two-bedroom, two-bath home up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'd be glad you did. Very conveniently located on the quiet side of campus, just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. That's a cool, cool thing. Right there by that neighborhood market at Walmart. Makes it real convenient. So if you forget something on the way home, you don't have to run all the way across town to go get that missing ingredient. Pretty cool. Uh, the great walking trail is out there. Phase one is now completely sold out. We knew that it would be. We knew it wouldn't like take long. Phase two, under construction now. And here's the deal. You can reach out now, and you can pick out your house plans. You can pick out your lot. You can have some say in what all that's going to be about. It's a really cool thing to have some say in what your home's going to look like. But here's the deal. To get the whole process started, to get more information, and to kind of feel good about uh, the direction of things, reach out to our friend Brooks Bryant. He once robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. So you at least owe him a phone call, right? 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. If I, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico just because of the convenience to campus. I mean, I'm on campus a lot, and I'm out here in the sticks, and I love it, but I'd love to be a little bit closer. Save a little gas money, too. It'd be great for you. So if this is like a ball game retreat for you, a secondary home, uh, then that's perfect for you. Again, it's time. Let's make Portico your next move. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some recruiting stuff here. You know, we uh, we didn't do the signing day spectacular, you know, with the marching band, dancing girls, all that kind of stuff, uh, because Mississippi State didn't add anybody in February. You say, oh, well, Steve – we did, though. But, no, we didn't because we had a couple of guys who were already signed that we just announced those guys. And uh, State now dips to 27th after basically being in the top 25 most of the process, 27th in the in the rankings, which is a pretty much where we have been. That was always the discussion when Mike Leach came. is oh, you know, they're not going to recruit as well. You know, this is pretty much our average, you know, between 25, 27. And we're right there. And, of course, we're still learning how to evaluate transfers and how to weight those rankings. But, yeah, we're recruiting pretty well. Um, not great, but we're recruiting pretty well. We need to do a better job keeping some of these uh, great in-state players in-state. I thought we had a pretty good year uh, on the in-state side of things. And uh, you guys are well aware, too. I'm, obviously, we've got a lot of players on campus right now, all of your transfers. And then, um, you know, your five early enrollees, uh, Jacarius Clayton, Braden Locke, Percy Lewis, Carlos Nicholson, Norris Hobson. And so now all that's left is some room for a couple transfers. And uh, we'll see how that progresses, too. Uh, don't be the least bit surprised if you see another guy or two leave the program. Probably need that room in order to make that happen. And I want to give you a quick rundown, too. We talk about in-state recruiting, and that is a big part of what things are about at Mississippi State. We have to do well in-state. You know, and that's the thing. You know, State of Washington didn't produce a ton of Power Five talent, but they produced a lot, and they all went to Washington. I mean, and let's be honest too. They're going to Seattle. Seattle over uh, over Pullman, Washington. That, that's going to win most times, and so you didn't have a lot to pull from there. It's a little different because here, because State and Ole Miss are still very similar in many respects uh, when it comes to location and amenities and things like that. Despite what some other people would want to say, they're both just college towns. 
Um, one has a championship, one doesn't. Um, so let's look at the 2022 top football recruits in Mississippi and kind of see how we did. Uh, Branson Robinson, of course, signed with Georgia. And here's the people say, well, Steve, we couldn't get him to stay home. And I don't think that was ever a possibility once his recruitment exploded. He talked very favorably about Mississippi State in the early stages of his recruitment. And then once everybody in the country got involved on him, he went to Georgia. And I think it's a good spot for him. I wish him the best. I don't know that our offense is a great fit for what he wants to do, if that makes sense. I think he, he wants to carry the football 20, 25 times a game. He'll do that at Georgia. He wouldn't do that here. Jaheim Otis, that's one that, you know, obviously from my hometown, you'd like to get him. Alabama got on him early and give Nick Saban those guys a lot of credit. You know, they got him committed early and were able to hang on to him after a pretty furious uh, push by Mississippi State and Ole Miss late in the process. And, uh, you know, a lot of people worried about him going to Ole Miss. I never really worried about him going to Ole Miss. I, I was hoping he'd come to Mississippi State. Um, but it didn't work out that way. I wish him the best, though. Uh, know that known that family a long time. And I think in the end that him sticking with Alabama is what he wanted to do. I think there are some people around him that wanted him to do some other things. But I think he wanted to go to Alabama. And uh, that's the better part of it. Now, with Mississippi State's, uh, you know, defensive lineman in, in the league, we'd have a better chance to, to get that guy. Well, again, Kamari Rogers, and I've said before, I, I feel like he's a little bit overvalued at number three. Uh, he sticks at Miami. Uh, his size worries me and the fact that, uh, you know, he's had, you know, some knee surgeries. A fantastic kid from a fantastic family. Wish him the best. But this is one, too, that I don't think it was a, a deal breaker for us either way. I would have liked to have had him. But there's some risk-reward with all that. Xavier Harris is a guy I like a lot, too, but I like him as an offensive lineman. 6'8", 335 pounds. Those guys generally don't play defense. I do think he has the footwork to be a tackle. Probably a right tackle. Uh, could be a left tackle under the right circumstance. But uh, I won't be the least bit surprised if he goes to Ole Miss and flips over to play on the offensive line. Highest-rated in-state recruit from Mississippi State, Trevion Williams. You guys are quite familiar with him. Uh, that was a very con highly contested battle. He he offered his uh, in-home commitment, or excuse me, his uh, silent commitment the weekend of the Kentucky game, for those who didn't know. Number six on the list, Marquez Dorch, also a Mississippi State signee. A lot of discussion about Ole Miss playing him at corner, and us playing him at receiver. He's here, and at this point, I don't care what they say. I don't care how they feel. I don't care what their plans were for him. This guy is an electric player with the football in his hands, and I think he's a great fit for the air raid, and I think Mike Leach and Steve Spurrier will know exactly how to use him. Uh, Stone Blanton, number seven, goes to South Carolina. A disappointment for a lot of Mississippi State people because, of course, Stone you know, grew up a Bulldog. Uh, but in the end, he likes to go there. And, uh, and, of course, some people would say, I think he just wanted to get away from the rivalry. Maybe he did, but I, I wish him the best. I honestly think that I think his pro future might actually be in baseball, and I, that may be – a little bit off the spot, but, um, you know, I think Stone Blanton is a guy that, like, if he truly committed himself to one sport, could play professional sports. I think his better options are in baseball, but he's a guy, too, you know, when healthy, has been very, very productive at linebacker position. Uh, Jeremiah Dillon from Tower Town is number eight. Uh, I, I think he is very overvalued as a prospect. Um, I think that he is probably a top 20 guy. I don't think he's a top 10 guy. And really the same for Jordan Anthony. Both of these guys, both from Tower Town. Uh, he signed on with Kentucky. But this guy is elite speed-wise. And when you look at what Kentucky has done with their slot receivers, they'll know how to utilize him. And I think there are going to be some people to come back and say, Steve, how in the world did we not take Jordan Anthony? 
you know, give Stoops and those guys some credit. But, uh, you know, we were looking for some size this year at wide receiver, and, and there were some other guys on the inside that we liked a little bit better. Uh, Jacarius Clayton comes in at number 10. Uh, we like him an awful lot. He's already on campus, and uh, he's a guy that can be an OLDL, but uh, we'll start out on the D-line, probably stays there. I think that's where his heart is. Uh, Bryson Hurst, number 11. In many respects, I feel like he is the uh, – the top offensive line prospect in the state, but I think he's a guard. And if I had to pick between him and Xavier Harris, I would pick Xavier Harris. I think that makes better sense to me. But I do think Bryson Hurst, when fully engaged, is a very, very talented football player. Uh, got to get in shape, but I think that he's a guy that uh, I think we'll look back in a couple of years. The guy, if we would have got that kid, Aaron Bryant never really gave Mississippi State a solid look. Aaron Bryant from South Haven, now headed to the University of Texas. Ole Miss people really thought they had him and in the early going when Ole Miss offered. There was talk about that being the dream school. Uh, just didn't work out the way they had intended. Uh, we look at um, our next player on list, number 13, is Khalid Moore, who I think is undervalued at 13, and that is absolutely fine. I think we're going to come back and gloat here in a couple of years when Khalid Moore is a guy that is uh, com- contending for a potential all-SEC spot uh, later as a veteran in his career. I-, I think he is a guy that can be an explosive player for us, and not just in this scheme, but in any scheme, just a football player. 14 is Dante Russell, also Mississippi State signee. This is a guy, too, that uh, you know, kind of a legacy of sorts in many respects, a younger brother of Demonte Russell, but also a guy that I think his better days are ahead of him. He'll get a guy in a college weight room. I think he's going to explode. And uh, State really got him uh, without much fanfare. Larry Simmons is 15. I think that's too low. And, yes, he's going to Ole Miss. But I think Larry Simmons is a special player. I would have him top 10. I, I think he – I think the guy – when you look at the guy, what he does after the catch is, is pretty special. And he's headed to Ole Miss. So, you look at this and say, hey, you know, we, yeah, we did pretty well at the receiver position. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss did a really good job in-state recruiting at wide receiver. And Ole Miss didn't sign many kids on the in-state. But I like the guys they got. Um, R.J. Moss, former Mississippi State commitment, signed with South Alabama. Wish him the absolute best. I know a lot of people around him know him. Um, you know, again, you know, the, the bottom line is when, when they don't sign in December, whether it be our decision or theirs, there's always some antennas that go up. And that will continue to happen. Uh, Jeterius Elam is ranked 17. I like him at that spot. Uh, he didn't sign with anybody likely headed to junior college. Dakota Jordan, Mississippi State, uh, two-sport star, will wait out the draft and then make a decision about, you know, signing either before or after fall camp after he knows uh, the rest. Uh, Blake Gunner, number 19, I think he's a little bit overvalued, but this is probably about right. I would probably have him 23-24. Uh, tied in out of Madison Central, signed with Tulane. Uh, really like his film. He's kind of sneaky good. It's like you didn't hear much about him because State and Ole Miss didn't really push him. Uh, State doesn't use tight ends, and Ole Miss had other had other options at that point. Uh, but I really thought he would end up at Ole Miss in the early going. He ends up at Tulane. I think he can have a good career there. I think, you know, they'll they'll know how to use him. But if you go watch his film, you, you're kind of like, well, hey, this kid can play a little bit. Number 20, this will be the final guy we talk about, is Trent Singleton. I think Trent Singleton is undervalued at 20. But it's about right. I mean, maybe I have him 18, 19, you know, maybe up a little bit. I think Trent Singleton is a guy that's going to be the leader of this program one day. And, and what I mean by that is I think he'll be the guy that comes out and speaks to the media because he's a guy that's very articulate and extremely intelligent. And I think a guy can also play a really good brand of football. So when you run down the numbers here and you begin to think about, okay, you, know, you look at the top 20 in Mississippi, I can kind of count it down for you. I guess we can always go back to the 25 
let's go to 25. I won't run the names down for you, but 25 state gets 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 of the top 25. Um, is that enough? You know, I don't know. This year, considering some of the headliners we had in the class, maybe it's not. Maybe you got to get a couple more guys. And I think, you know, getting Trevion Williams was huge. But how big would it have been to have Trevion and Jahi Motus? That would have been incredible. And I think we got to go out there and win a few more football games to make that a more likely possibility. All right, that's going to do it for today. If you're looking for books, as always, go to dogpilotbook.com, and you can get everything there except for Blooms of Oleander. That's available through Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com, Books a Million. It's also an e-book, too. It's the only one of my books that's an e-book. So have it downloaded right to your device, and you can read that. Pretty proud of that one, too. Not a sports book. Uh, pretty proud. That one made it as high as number five on the Mississippi bestsellers list. And I appreciate everybody that carried that book. And, and contrary to popular belief, it is the only book that I've self-published, which I think is, uh, you know, it was a little project between me and my sister Reagan, and I was happy to do that. And um, it was a lot of fun. And I'll probably do it again at some point. Uh, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. You should be. You can get hoodies and T-shirts there in a variety of styles. Be sure and go check those guys out today. StarkVillains.com. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll get ready for Tennessee. Get ready for Tennessee, and we'll be a couple days closer to college baseball season. Really excited about that. Still don't have start times for the weekend games. A lot of people are asking about that. I know Lamonis likes the afternoon start because it gives you flexibility if there's any weather. And so I suspect the Friday game will be an afternoon start. And I guess if you plan for an afternoon start and it moves to the evening, it's still okay. But I won't be the least bit surprised if we find out that's a 3 p.m. Uh, first pitch. I know people will complain, oh, we can't get there. And I get it. I understand that. Uh, it's opening day, though. Maybe you need to maybe uh, take a sick day or take a vacation day and come up here and spend the day in Starkville and be part of all this. But, but we'll see. I will be surprised, though, if it's not an afternoon start. I'm good either way. I live here. And you should, too. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.